Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, ETSU's Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. It is a beautiful autumnal uh, September 14th here, 2023. I uh, have two, um, two updates to pass along this week, really. Um, one about an experimental drug that uh, I guess I'm a little excited about. Um, and then a newly approved drug for stem cell mobilization for folks getting autotransplants for multiple myeloma. So let's talk about this experimental drug. This is uh, Petritumab Deruxtecan, or HER3-DXD. Uh, and this is the Herthina Lung 01 study. It's a phase two study in EGFR mutated non-small cell lung cancer, okay? Uh, Petritumab Deruxtecan, or HER3-DXD. So uh, this is um, an agent that's been studied right now, or this publication, um, I think this was presented a big, there's a big lung meeting going on, and this was, it was published in tandem with the presentation at the meeting. Um, so these are EGFR mutated patients. They're either um, exon 19 deletion or uh, exon 21, the L858R mutation. The, the big two mutations we, um, we target with EGFR mutated disease, if someone says that, these are the two most likely that they are referring to. We know that this disease is prevalent in about 5% of non-small cell lung cancers, primarily those um, that are not smokers. We know that chemotherapy has some effect. Immunotherapy doesn't work that well, but tyrosine kinase inhibitors are the tried and true treatment for this. This um, is a drug that targets HER3. It's an antibody drug conjugate that targets HER3. We don't target HER3 a whole lot, so it's a new approach. And then the conjugate is deruxtecan, which we are familiar with, with trastuzumab deruxtecan, which has data for breast cancer, lung, gastric. So uh, it's the deruxtecan decade here. Uh, so HER3 expression, and HER3 is in the HER2 family, and HER3 and HER2 are also in the epidermal growth factor receptor, EGFR family. So these are all cousins, they're all related in a way. And this antibody binds to HER3, which um, is expressed in four out of five non-small cell lung cancers and maybe a slightly higher percentage of EGFR mutated non-small cell lung cancer cells. And then uh, after um, the antibody drug conjugate binds to HER3, it gets internalized. Our deruxtecan, which a toboisomerase 1 inhibitor gets released, causes cell death, but then can then freely diffuse through the plasma membrane, cell membrane, and to affect other cells nearby, uh, including cancer cells that may or may not express HER3, as well as uh, getting into the bloodstream and having, um, having other effects. The inclusion criteria for this study is sound, and maybe that's what I'm excited about because I've become so cynical. Everyone had to have um, previously received an EGFR tyrosine kinase inhibitor and platinum-based chemotherapy. And they amended the protocol to require that everyone had received a third-generation um, EGFR TKI, i.e. OC Mertinib. Um, the study was designed to have enough folks to see if we had a, a response rate that was you know, quite a bit higher than 26.4%, um, than which that 26.4% comes from a phase two study of docetaxel and remucirumab in the second-line treatment of non-small cell lung cancer who had progressed on chemotherapy. Uh, that's that's basically how they designed their study. You know, it's a phase two study. They're looking at response rate, but um, but this is designed pretty well. Um, we have 225 people in this study, um, 209 who had received a previous third generation EGFR TKI. 60% um, are female, 40% um, uh, 
uh, Caucasian, 47% Asian, 64% never smokers, and almost all of them are adenocarcinomas. All that fits with the typical profile you'd expect for EGFR mutated disease. Um, half these patients have a history of brain mets, um, and uh, they, um, and they, many of them had received, almost all of them had received OC-mertinib, and some had even received additional third generation EGFRT guys like lazertinib on even after progressing on OC-mertinib. So the primary um, endpoint here is is objective response rate. So the overall response rate here is uh, is 29.8 percent, and this is at least in the third line setting. And the way things go in oncology is as you go line by line by line, you know your response rate goes down from the first line setting to the second line setting to the third line setting, where you know anything north of 10 to 20 percent is somewhat impressive in a third line setting. Um, this is a targeted therapy, and typically we, we hope to see higher response rates of targeted therapies. We see response rates for TKIs that target EGFR well north of 50 and 70%. Um, you know, for, for BRAF dual MEK inhibitors and mestite melanoma, you're seeing response rates north of 75% around there. Um, now, the target is not exactly EGFR. It is a cousin of EGFR, and that gets our deruxtecan, that gets our topoisomerase 1 inhibitor inside the cell. Appears to be how this does uh, its damage. Now, of these 29.8% of people who had a response, uh, only one of those was um, a complete response. Uh, most of these are partial responses. Duration response six months, which is okay. You know, it's like, you know, you get this drug every every three weeks. It's a stand, It's 5.6, I'm not going to say standard, 5.6 mg per kick every three weeks. Very similar to some trastuzumab durextin, trastuzumab durextacan uh, dosing. The toxicity profile is very similar to what you'd expect for trastuzumab durextacan, uh, where you see quite a bit of thrombocytopenia, a little bit less neutropenia. 5% uh, of people did have interstitial lung disease, another concern we have. Um, maybe a slightly lower rate with trastuzumab durextacan. Um, or compared to trastuzumab durextacan, where you see uh, numbers maybe of 10% uh, and higher than that even in, in some studies. Um, quite a bit of nausea with this drug, uh, mostly not grade 3, 66% of people had nausea. More thrombocytopenia than neutropenia, you see more constipation than diarrhea, uh, interesting, um, and 27% had vomiting as well. So it is a cytotoxic drug, but you do seem to get a bit better drug delivery. Uh, and this is a disease state where we don't have great options that we feel good about after um, after EGFR TKI. And all these folks had had OC-mertinib, almost all of them. They had all had platinum-based chemo. Um, so there is an unmet need here. This is uh, a drug that I would expect, uh, I don't know where it is in their, their regulatory submission, but I would expect it to, to get approved uh, by FDA for third-line treatment for these folks after TKI, um, after chemo. Um, based on, on this response rate data, I, I would expect that. All right, so that is uh, an experimental drug. I don't usually talk about experimental drugs um, that come out, but I did want to highlight that because I thought the study design was, uh, was solid for a phase two study. I think that um, if you have somebody that fits those criteria, they have an EGFR mutated disease, they progress on OC-mertinib, and now you're, you're doing docetaxel or, or some sort of platinum-based chemo to try to keep their disease at bay, I'd look to see if there's uh, an opportunity to get somebody in a clinical trial or compassionate use for this drug, because it seems like there is, uh, there is probably a role for that uh, with, with these patients. Okay, moving on. We have a new drug to talk about, a drug that's not in my wheelhouse, a drug that I have not yet practiced how to say, uh, which is motixafortide, which is a CXCR antagonist. CXCR is a receptor in, uh, in our bone marrow. 
And when SDF1 alpha binds to CXCR4, um, the bone marrow basically uh, has sticky hematopoietic stem cells. The, the, the stem cells stick to the bone marrow. And if you're trying to mobilize somebody for stem cell transplant, uh, and you're gonna do peripheral blood collection, you don't want those stem cells to be sticky in the bone marrow. You want them to be kind of greased up and loose so that they easily slip into the peripheral bloodstream so you can leukapherese them and collect them. And that is the approval for this drug, uh, motixafortide. This works very similar to plerixafor, a drug we already have approved for more than a decade that works very similarly. Uh, although um, uh, this drug, motixafortide, is structurally quite different than plerixafor. Uh, interestingly, you know, the approval for this is compared just to GCSF, it, which seems like a, it should easily beat GCSF if you give this drug with, uh, with GCSF. Um, I, it'd be, I, d I don't know if this has been studied compared to GCSF plus plerixafor. I think the use of this ultimately is going to come down to which one would be uh, more costly. If you just look at the warnings and precautions, seems like motixafortide is a bit riskier. There is a boxed warning for anaphylactic shock and hypersensitive reactions. It requires pre-medication with a histamine 1, histamine 2, and a leukotriene inhibitor. Uh, not a corticosteroid, uh, notably. Uh, now, Plurix 4 doesn't have any pre-medications required before uh, its use. The other warnings we see here are like potentially tumor cell mobilization uh, and things like that. Uh, the white count will go up afterwards because you are mobilizing stem cells from the bone marrow into the peripheral blood. And these are drugs that are, are helpful for folks who, um, you know, are, you either you want to collect their stem cells faster, more efficiently, or they're having trouble mobilizing with just uh, granulocyte -like colony stimulating factor. Um, and uh, that's really all I have to say about um, motixafortide. Not a drug that I use um, in our practice because we, uh, we don't do transplants here locally. But it is a new FDA approved drug, so I thought it was worth talking about. For those of you who do uh, you know, dabble in transplant and, and, and listen to, to learn about updates on lung cancer and things like that. So that's what I have this week. Um, it's been a, been a while since we've had a new antineoplastic approved. Um, and, uh, and, and I think I've said before, things seem to be slowing down a little bit in, in the research and, and probably a remnant of uh, research slowing down uh, during COVID. Hopefully we'll get some more new exciting announcements uh, probably as soon as I finish recording. Uh, well, thank you all for listening. You can follow me on the app, formerly known as Twitter, at FarmDetanib, and you can follow the podcast at OncoFarmPod. Uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. And remember, till I talk to you again, doses matter.